Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Purna Virji and we speak with her about her bestseller, High Impact Content Marketing, Strategies to Make Your Content Intentional, Engaging and Effective. Start with the business outcome you want to drive. So let's say we're a new car company and we have a new electric model car coming out. Obviously, the business outcome would be we need to hit this certain sales for uh, the new car. Then you think about what's the audience behavior change that you need to drive to hit that. So then what would be likely to help get more sales would be if people took a test drive, people configured the car on their website. So then you think that, okay, so then the behavior change that my content needs to drive is to guide people to the showroom so that they can take test drives, right? We're not sales. We're not going to close the deal. But what we can do is get people to the showroom. So then the third step only once you've identified these two things is Then you think about who. So who's the audience that's most likely to take a test drive? Purna is a globally renowned content strategist and principal consultant content solutions at LinkedIn. She previously led global learning and thought leadership programs for Microsoft and is an award-winning former journalist. Virji is a top-rated international keynote speaker and has been featured in The Drum, TNW, Search Engine Journal and Adweek. She has also been recognized as an Adweek Young Influential, was crowned the Search Personality of the Year by US Search Awards, and was named the most influential PPC expert in the world by PPC Hero. Virji is also an honored listee in the Marquee Who's Who 2023 list. High Impact Content Marketing is her first book. Now, on to this insightful session with Purna Virji. Purna, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm so glad that we could we could have you on the show. And uh, and I think with content being so critical and so many varieties of advices floating around in your platform, which is LinkedIn, uh, it may be very difficult for people to actually figure out what they need to do. And I think books like these can be can can make a seminal sort of contribution to people who are seriously looking at content uh, and and creating those. So thank you for coming on the show and writing such an important book. Stubanjan, thank you for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be on Bits About Books. Thank you. So uh, as we discussed uh, prior to this uh, recording, we will actually first explore what made you write one more book about content. Well, 
There's a couple of reasons. The first one was I got really lucky where I was sitting one day um, going about my day-to-day work when this little email pings in into my inbox from a kind gentleman called Stephen Dunnell from Kogan Page, my publisher, and says, Purna, I've seen you speak at a lot of different events. I really like your work. Have you considered writing a book? And if so, would you like to write a book about content marketing aimed at practitioners? And an offer like that is so rare. You just have to say yes. And it was a really perfect timing because we'd seen all of these changes that were coming up in the industry. They, uh, I was at Microsoft before I was at LinkedIn. And, you know, even five years ago, I would be talking about the impact that AI would have in empowering people to do more, right? Giving us these superpowers that we, you know, would love to have. And so in doing that, this was the perfect time. Plus in working with, in the last decade, I've worked with customers all over the world, marketers, advertisers, different disciplines. And you would think that the questions that they would have would be very different, but they're really not. They're all really, really common. It's the questions I was hearing was so much of the same. I was like, well, I have learned a lot of this through through many mistakes, through many successes, through many mentors, and through many, uh, I'm a learn-it-all, so I, I read and I'm constantly learning. So I'm like, let me add some value and put that out there. So really, that's where the whole book was born. Fantastic. So, okay, it's indeed rare where a publisher reaches out and asks uh, you to write a book, especially because so many books today are self-published. So people don't want to go through that process. But I think that's a great validation when a when a publisher of uh, the stature comes and asks you to write. Um, so how, how long back was this, Purna? So then they originally reached out to me at the end of 2021. Like, do you want to write that? And I said, yes. And then I ended up signing everything and all of that going just in early, early months of 2022. And so then I ended up spending a lot of 2022 researching, writing, getting organized, getting COVID, and then not doing anything for a month (laughs) and then going back. Okay. So, so... I, I presume when he actually reached out, you have already now started forming some ideas about how, what the book could be and what it should look like, uh, how it can be differentiated from uh, the wisdom that is already out there, how you, so what was your process? What did you start actually when you had, okay, oh my God, this is a great offer. I'm going to take it. What happened next? So the big thing was he said, well, write out a proposal for the book. And that was more so everyone would be on the same page. They know how to get going. And so my first step was, well, I read a lot of books. I know what I like. I know what stands out to me. I know I've also spent many years working in learning and development. So I know Mm. adult learning principles. I know how to craft messages that can reach people in, in in the right way. And so my process really was I reached out to a couple of author friends who I'd known who'd done it really well. So Rand Fishkin is one of them. He's written multiple books. Uh, another one was a former colleague at Microsoft and a good friend, uh, Jeffrey Cologne, who had written uh, a book too. And I reached out. I said, what was your process? How did you write your proposal? What did you want? And I'm a very type A overachiever. And so I'm like, this is the first time I'm writing a book proposal. I've never written one before. What does it look like? Let me go in. And I researched it a lot online. And then I put it all together. And then 
submitted it and that helped me. So I tried to break it out into the actual steps. So every chapter in my book, there's 12 chapters. Every chapter is a completely different step of the process. So it starts right from this, like analyze, uh, design, develop, implement, you know, evaluate type process. It's called ADDIE. It's a very popular process in learning and development. So if I was to apply Addy to a book to help make it real for people, um, that's what I would do. And I wanted to give them strategy, right? Because my publisher, Kogan Page, had already said content marketing aimed at the practitioner audience. So I had that as my structural guide to work within. But then I tried to think based on the questions that I get, right? What are people wanting to know? What have I been asked the most over the years? Where do people struggle? Where have I struggled? Where have I seen my teams struggle when I'm teaching my team or leveling them up? That's what I founded by what was the problems we're trying to solve and how can they go about it and how can we take every step of the process and make it um, 10 times better? Like how could you take customer research and then 10x that, right? Everyone knows the best practices in marketing. It says, you know, understand your audience. Um, You know, that's not wrong. It's just very high level. And then audiences so many times are wondering that why am I being bombarded with boring content? And marketers are being panicked saying, I put in so much blood, sweat and tears into putting content out. And it's just not getting the results that I'd hope for. So where is this mismatch coming from? And so that's where I'm like, let me go in into the strategy, but then exactly the how. Um, and I know this is a very long answer, but if I can add 30 seconds more. I'm like, the type of person I am is like, I need to understand the strategy, the why, the history. But then my mind automatically goes, well, what's next? How do I apply that? to my day-to-day. And so I try to provide that as well. And then I even created these value-add frameworks or worksheets or checklists or guides for people to help kick off the execution. So they really apply the learnings. Yeah, I actually noticed that, that every chapter comes starts with the introduction. So you're resetting the context for everything that you're saying. So that was quite unique, actually, when I when I was looking, as I said, looking through the book, um, that, that stood out to me as it, it's not like one introduction written at the beginning of the book and now you figure it out, but more about continuously bringing them to the context of what you are saying. So once this framework is sort of emerged uh, and... I'm presuming that you're you're parallelly doing your research, you're reading up stuff, you are talking to people. Uh, by the way, Rand was one of the guests on Bits About Books many many months back. Uh, that was that was it's a amazing. nice uh, reference. Yeah. yeah, amazing, amazing person. Uh, so uh, so so once you have got this, I, I'm presuming that it's sort of getting into some kind of a notes into your computer. Uh, were you writing like every day, or were you writing in the weekends? What was your writing process? What I ended up doing, honestly, my first couple of weeks was abject panic, Subanjan. Like, I will not lie to you. I'm like, okay, I have a book deal. I have a greenlit. My managers at work could not be more supportive and encouraging. And then the reality sets in that, oh my God, I have to write a whole book. And then uh, they had contracted me for 80,000 words. I'm like, 80,000 words seems impossible. Like, how will I do it? And so I spent the first two weeks in abject panic. Then I said, how do I overcome abject panic? I learn it all. So I learn is my default mode. So I reached out to to Rand, to a couple of my other author friends. What was your process? What did you do? And and I read a bunch. And then I realized like I'm just 
putting unnecessary pressure on myself for no reason. Like you learn good things. Like something Rand had told me was, Prina takes you three chapters on average to find your voice, to get into your voice. And that's okay. And so then you can go back and you can edit. And then just hearing that you can go back and edit sort of took the pressure off. And I said, I'm going to approach it the way that I approach life. Like I have, I've been a program manager for many, many years. And I was like, I'm going to apply all of those skills to it. So I created project management guides for my book. So the first step was I said, let me put it in a shared uh, Excel document that I can share with my publisher. Because the one thing I don't want is those pressure. Like, where are you? What are you doing? Let them know where I am. Communication is key. So I broke up every chapter and then I gave myself a, a word count budget. So I'm like, well, how much do I think I will talk about measurement versus how much do I think I'll talk about audience research and what will it look like? And that sort of helped me give me a framework and so I said, let me create all of my project management documents. So I have this. This is the chapter. This is the current estimated work count, where I'm progressing till now. What status has it been? Have I edited it? Is it draft one? Is it, you know, back and forth? And that was really helpful for me. And then I, the other really good lesson that I learned from some author buddies is that you don't have to start at the beginning. You can just start at whichever chapter speaks to you the most. And so that's what I started doing. I think I wrote chapter... Well, I don't think I've told anyone this, but I think I wrote chapter four first and then I got bounced around uh, that I wrote about brainstorming and then I went back to another one. But I knew I had all the pieces in my head, but getting it out there. The third step I did was let me set up who I want to interview. The great thing about working in digital marketing is that this is the one of the most warm generous, supportive communities ever. And so there was not one person who said no. I reached out to, I made a list of, I think, 60 or 75 people. I'm like, who do I think will be really brilliant for each chapter? Or, you know, who's the best person I can talk to for, you know, UX? And then I reach out to a friend. I'm like, do you know anyone? And they'd connect me. And so then I got all my pieces and I realized um setting up my interviews was super helpful because it was something consistent. So I tried to set up one or two interviews a week and that was enough because it would give me ideas to buzz around, give me motivation to write. Uh, and then I do that. So I don't know if I've gone on too long with your answer, but hopefully that gives you a little bit hint inside. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, this sounds fascinating, uh, especially you're trying to manage and allocating the, words to to chapters i think i think that's that that gives the insight into how you're you're thinking and and looking at it as a project and and your your project manager uh, in a persona sort of came into this <laughs> uh, i'm that's, very that's equally cool. right-brained and left-brained right so i'm like super yeah. creative but i also like a little bit of structure so that my creativity has free reign because otherwise what will happen if there's too many possibilities for me then i'll just spin in hundred directions. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I've got to give myself a little structure, like put a little fence and then I can push the walls. And of course there was some where I'm like, oh no, uh, brainstorming is getting a little longer as a chapter. So maybe what I can do, I can make the intro chapter shorter because anyway, people don't want so much time on the intro and, and going back and forth. And my publishers, they were very uh, supportive. If I had a question about you know, hey, will you just look at this? Am I, is this interesting? Is this appealing to your readership? And they were just so encouraging the whole time. They're like, nope, this is spot on. Don't worry. Like, this is great. And um, so, over, I mean, I really enjoyed the process. I love learning. And, and to teach is to learn twice. And so I knew that 
um, to get to write this and you know, go deeper into research, plus it clarifies some of your thoughts, right? You may say something and then you're like, wait, when you have to put it down on print, you're like, I know we just say this and it's a general assumption, but what is it really? And then to go below the surface each time was was harder work, but it was so rewarding and fulfilling. And I feel I'm a much better marketing for ha- marketer for having like written this. Absolutely. And and I think your your background in learning development plays a role, which is why so many diagrams are there. And and I'm sure do I mean working on a diagram itself clarifies so many thoughts because you're really trying to assimilate a a complex thing into something which you can represent in a in a in a in a chart or whatever and and looking at that people should get the feel of what you're trying to talk about so i i'm just putting two and two together and and saying uh, there there are a lot of lot of diagrams in the book so uh, i just thought that I'll, I'll i'll just point that out here um who who actually was mostly through this process with you i mean was there any particular person or a group that was helping you more than the others or i mean i know you have acknowledged people but uh, was there anybody in particular that was you are looking at for guidance or oh my gosh there were just there were so many people that helped in in different ways but you know certainly like if i would call out a name like um Nancy uh, Bach has been a, a, a long time friend and she's somebody who uh, is really great at calling a spade a spade. And so if I would ever have doubts, I'm like, Nancy, what do you think? And she'd be, she'd be like, you know, this, this isn't great. And, and you need, everyone needs someone like that. And having that trust that's been built up over years, I would say Nancy was one of my most. And I had another friend, Laura, who would just She's, she's very warm and in sharing some of her case studies, so on. But no, there's so many to name. Like these are just two who were like harangued every day. But, um, you know, towards the end, when there's instances, as it happens in every writer's life, right, you have moments of writer's block. And then there's, you know, I had my meditation friends, uh, Brinda and Ted, who would be like, you know, you can do this. And I'd be like, no, I just can't do it. I'm going to give up on this book. You know, when you're... <laughs> 80% done and it yeah, feels close, sure. but so far, and you're like, oh, I can't do it. I'm working like 60, 80 hours a week at work. I'm exhausted. I'm writing this nights and weekends. Um, but sometimes you just need people to reflect to you that you can do it and keep it up. And so I'm very grateful for all of those folks in my life, those who connected me to others, those who gave me their time and thoughts. Um, I would thank. It takes a village. No one does it alone. Of and of course, my ever-suffering poor husband and child who <laughs> had to deal with <laughs> yeah, of endless cups of chai to keep me writing. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah. So let's dive into the book and let's start with your uh, chapter four first because that's the one you wrote. Uh, let, let's let's talk about why do you talk about the gifted way to figure out internal needs why why gifted is capitalized what 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 made you do that so gifted is and uh, it's an analogy so it's trying to okay. it's it's an acronym sorry yeah. gifted is an acronym yeah. and sometimes i find that how do you make things 
to reduce the cognitive load on people while learning, to try to keep things memorable and sticky as acronyms, frameworks, all of those can help. It's because I wrote that chapter first because it's this chap, um, it's a step that almost every marketer that I've talked to has missed. So they just don't do it because the whole classical advice is it all starts with your customer. Yes, it's not wrong, but how do you know what to ask your customer about? How do you know what area of research to dig in with your customer? It's not just anything and everything. It has to be prioritized at the end of the day by what will add value to your business. And so I say, even before you start reaching out to customers, start by reaching out to internal stakeholders, right? Sales and marketing alignment is genuinely real. Like all the biggest successes I've had in my career have come from working extremely closely from sellers, from observing their tactics, from understanding what's going to move the needle for them, the objections customers have. Um, And so at the end of the day, our job as marketers is not just to educate and entertain, right? Content marketing, like any form of marketing, needs to show revenue impact, whether you're a nonprofit or not, right? Business Uh, unfortunately, the reality is that it just needs money and growth in order to just stay viable. And if we think about it, every business can have multiple different offerings. Each can have a different revenue impact on the business. So if you've got two offerings, right? Let's say, I'm going to completely make things up, but let's say you've got a video version and then you've got your Spotify audio-only version of your podcast. Let's say you'd make a lot more money about uh, on the... Spotify version and not as much on the video, just, just to make things up. I, I don't know. Right. But if all, if you did all your research only on video, like, oh, video is so important. Everyone wants video. You'd be spending your time going down this route when actually this isn't the route that's going to make you the most money. You want to try to figure out like what's going to be most helpful for my business and then understand what our customers needs, who's the ideal customer, what will it go there? And so that's why I wrote first because it was so important to understand um that yeah so so let's dive in a bit uh, into the into the chapter itself and and let's let's sort of break down the the acronym and and elaborate on the steps that you talk about in in finding the uh, context so if we start with gifted so gifted is really get clear on your goal. What are you trying to achieve? Like what's the outcome that you want to get? What's the time period that you're looking at? Is there a particular area um, that you want to dive in, try to understand that. And maybe you've been given a goal or you've set yourself a goal to grow a certain channel or a platform, certain way. Like, so, so why is that? What's the, you know, how specific can you get? Then go and identify the key people to interview. Start with sales. So often as marketers, we just live in different worlds and don't talk to each other, but we are two halves of the same coin, right? We can help generate and grease the wheels for sales, and then sales can go in and capture and, and close. Um, one doesn't exist without the other. You you need both. And so identify the right salespeople. And w- I try to say work with different levels, like talk to some sales managers, talk to some individual uh, contributors who talk to customers all the time, but then don't just stop there. Like talk to other teams as well. Talk to other marketing folks. Maybe a product marketing person is creating some content that could be helpful uh, for you. 
And then once you identify who you want to interview, and it, it doesn't have to be that many people, about like seven or eight across your company could give you a really good sense. And then finalize the finalize your interview methods, which is so often people are like, I'll oh, just send them a survey, but that's not enough. So a 30-minute phone call can often give you a lot more information than you would have thought of. So I'll go into different options, the pros and cons for each, and then I'll give you even the sample questions to ask. And then you can just evaluate all of your uh, responses and then draw out all of your conclusions and how do you unearth the conclusions and the common threads and put that together. So it's a very simple process. It's something I do every six months at, at uh, LinkedIn. I used to do it at Microsoft as well. And it is honestly the biggest thing that has helped me have a lot of success at LinkedIn in my role. Uh, I credit it really just you taking a few hours, like six to eight hours or, you know, heck, sometimes when I was new, I did, I talked to a whole bunch more people and that helped me um, get so far, like 15, 20 hours uh, invested in interviews can build you lifelong relationships. It can give you the right starting points. You know, you won't waste time going in different tangents when you can just find the road that's most likely to get you success. Uh, and plus, it just helps you internally build your own brand and be seen as a good partner um, in, in a large matrix corporation or a small SMB. Yeah, I totally get it because I think what you touched upon in terms of the dysfunction between marketing and sales is real and we don't talk often enough about that. And maybe we should have a chat about that some other day uh, on, on a separate uh, note. Uh, yeah. and, and, and also what you're saying makes so much sense because not only we don't talk to our own colleagues and find out what their priorities are, people who we are, who are our primary customer as marketing folks, right? The sales folks are our primary customers in, in some way, because whatever we are doing is supposed to deliver uh, outcome for them. Uh, we don't even talk to our customers. So it's, it's a very reflective, it's, it's a very similar behavior. If you think about it and you talk to your sales folks, you see, we don't even want to talk to our customers enough, but we want to tell them, we want to qualify them and we want to tell them what is good for them. I mean, you see the problem? It is, isn't it? And that's what I say. If I said, if you can only remember one thing from anything that I ever say is that make this one shift. It's not what do we want to say? It's what do they, your audience want or need to hear and just flip yeah. that perspective yeah. and you'll be on a much better path for success. Absolutely. And, and what you pointed out just before that you still need to have a lens, whether this actually makes sense to you or not, that lens has to be there, uh, which is, which is, we can't just go all out and then you figure out, oh, I did a lot of things for my customers, but it really didn't help my business. That's not really going yeah. to help anybody. Right. So that lens is very important, but that can't be the only lens. That's the problem. So we are unable to sort of blend the two lenses. We, we are, we are, we, we, we are not even able to go binary. We are like, okay, either this or that. So that 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 I guess is a, is a, is a reflective thing because it's it's reflecting in multiple, multi, it's it's manifesting in multiple areas of of business. It's time for a short break. Stay with us after the break. And so then I said, well, at the current rate of change, like what makes you think you can even guess what's going to come five years from now? Things could be completely different. But then I say. If you want to future-proof yourself, focus on what doesn't change. 
And what doesn't change at the end of the day is who we are as humans, right? Our motivations, our very human behaviors haven't changed since the time that we were cave people roaming the planet, right? What has changed certainly is how we communicate and, you know, trust is more important than before. And those are minor. But if you want to appeal to people, because at the end of the day, people relate to people, people want to talk to people, people will buy from people. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network Podcasts end to end Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. Let's talk about why it's important, what people are doing, what you see today, what people are doing, what people are possibly not paying attention to. I don't want to say what people are doing wrong. I'm sure you can sort of talk a lot about that. And I'm happy if you talk about that. But my question is that why reinvent and how do you future-proof? Can you really future-proof? Yes, you can really future-proof. And and I know it sounds so bizarre to say, right? Like we're living in this world where things are changing every second. And marketers sometimes put so much pressure on themselves on like, I need to keep up and you keep up with this latest tool. And then I'll ask them, okay, five years ago, could you have predicted what we have now? And most people are like, no, not with any great accuracy, right? Like, uh, who knew TikTok would come and take the world by storm? Who knew that AI would come chat GPT? Like maybe five years ago, maybe a fraction of people knew, but most didn't. And so then I said, well, at the current rate of change, like what makes you think you can even guess what's going to come five years from now? Things could be completely different. But then I say, if you want to future-proof yourself, focus on what doesn't change. And what doesn't change at the end of the day is who we are as humans, right? Our motivations, our very human behaviors haven't changed since the time that we were cave people roaming the planet, right? What has changed certainly is how we communicate and, you know, trust is more important than before. And those are minor. But if you want to appeal to people, Because at the end of the day, people relate to people, people want to talk to people, people will buy from people, right? And rather than spending time investing in new technologies only to game the algorithms or just churn out even more because, oh, sales said we need more content, we're not getting enough leads, create more content. That's not the case. It's like, let's just stop and take a moment and look at what has consistently worked. Right. Let me give you an example of human behavior. When I was a kid, um, oh, you know, now, okay, let's let's say now I'm waiting at a doctor's office. You've got 30 minutes to wait before going in. What are we going to do? We're going to 
pull up social media and like browse and pass time. As a kid, Saturday morning, I'd get up. What would I do to pass the time? I'd watch cartoons, right? That was the, the thrill of being a kid and to pass time. Before that, before TV, we would turn on the radio, right? We've always wanted to entertain, engage, learn, listen, consume content to fulfill needs. And so we need to just create content that appeals to human nature. Let's take curiosity. Humans have been curious for ages. And so a marketing campaign, I'll give you one of my favorite examples that everybody knows, which is blend tech, right? If I told you that we'd all you know, be glued to watching videos of a blender demo, you'd be like, Perna, you've got to be kidding me. Like, no way. But they found a way to appeal to curiosity, to appeal to people's interest and say, like, see what happens when a glow stick blends or will an iPhone blend, right? They use curiosity to type into that. And so when I say long-lasting future-proof tactics, just delve into the humans, what's going to take to engage them, to appeal to them, to connect with them. That's not going to change. Yeah, makes sense. Totally. So that also sort of provides the long-term context, right? Uh, in, in in terms of what you can focus on the long term, and and these are not these are these are not really specific to a company, correct? So anybody can sort of adapt and adopt these uh, these ideas. Absolutely, it's transferable skills. Once you understand the framework and the methodology. Today, you can work B2B, B2C, government, federal, and you can still apply a lot of the same framework and applications, and regardless of size of company as well. Right, right. Uh, what what do you see? I mean, coming back a little bit general, uh, what do you see are people doing right? And what do you think people should actually stop doing? Uh when they're trying to build content because because i think there is no 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 debate that content is a differentiator there is no debate that you have to allow people to find you in the in the in the business context i'm talking uh, and if you have to i mean this is the same whole inbound idea right so people people will find what they want to and once they find that they can find you and so on uh, what is it do you think needs reinforcement and what are the things that people should actually stop thinking too much about? For instance, post on Tuesday before between eight and nine kind of stuff, you know, uh, because so much of that is out there and, and so many carousals, as you know, are out there. It is. It is. I would say one area to really double down on more is to really show the how you connect the dots from what you're trying to do with your content back to the business goals. And that's been one of the reasons that have kept content marketers from really having that big seat at the table. They're either like, oh, part of the SEO team somewhere in the corner or like, oh, that girl who posts on social media or, you know, con content just has been this awkward place in many companies, not in all, right? Some companies do a great job of infusing it in. But increasingly, we're seeing that people are, just as you said, that they're realizing the value of content as a differentiator, as a way to stand out, as a way, especially in B2B with super long sales cycles, getting even longer now with economic uncertainty. It's a way to stand out, remain top of mind, build those memory structures. 
So, but tying it back is for content to really have the wings and the buy-in to do what it can really well, rather than being this order taker. Sales says we need a case study, go create a case study. Or, you know, sales is saying sales are down, go create five more pieces of content or just go create a white paper for lead gen. That's not helpful. And that's as competition gets more. Um, what AI has done, though, it, it's really lowered the barrier to entry, right? It, more people can create content now, which is an amazing thing, but it also means a lot more competitions. You have to think. So go back to your business goals and make that uh, connecting of the dots. And so I, I have this process outlined in chapter seven of the book, which talks about backward design. It's an L&D concept that I applied to um, content marketing, where I say, Start with the business outcome you want to drive. So let's say we're a new car company and we have a new electric model car coming out. Obviously, the business outcome would be we need to hit this certain sales for uh, the new car. Then you think about what's the audience behavior change that you need to drive to hit that. So then what would be likely to help get more sales would be if people took a test drive, people configured the car on their website. So then you think that, okay, so then the behavior change that my content needs to drive is to guide people to the work, to the uh, showroom so that they can take test drives, right? We're not sales. We're not going to close the deal. But what we can do is get people to the showroom. So then the third step only once you've identified these two things is then you think about who. So who's the audience that's most likely to take a test drive? What do they look like? What do they tend to believe in? What are different ways I could appeal to them? And then you start thinking about what your content should say. And then you're not focusing just on like those vanity metrics like reach, et cetera, which are helpful. But now you can show your boss that, you know, we're going to go and get these additional showroom visits that can have based on your existing conversion rates, et cetera. So that's one thing I would say do more. Very interesting. Uh, I will sort of from chapter seven. Well, I'll go back to chapter chapter six, where you talk about decoding your competitive landscape because that's important to understand again. Because you want to differentiate. If you want to differentiate, you cannot be doing me too uh, content. Uh, very interestingly, one of the articles or or advice columns or whatever. I mean, posts I read by I don't know name the person, but the the advice was go and check out what are the best performing blogs of your competitor and you write on the same topic because uh, people are already looking at it and so on. Uh, so I, I just wanted to throw that out there so that you, you, you understand what kind of environment most people who are not fully conversant with content marketing and see content marketing comes after you create the content. And what we are saying is that unless you are clear about your marketing goals, you will not know what to create. That, that's exactly what you are talking about, right? Uh, it's not the other way around that I create a content and then I figure out how to market it. It, it, it is not that. Uh, exactly. So, so let's put the effort first. I figure out what's going to move the needle for me, then figure out what do my customers really want. And then the competitor analysis helps you position it in such a way that you stand out. So it's really like three very logical steps that more people should do. And then whatever they create. Uh, will be set up for more success. So yeah, it's such a common misbelief that says that just copy the competitors. And there's uh, there's one of my favorite quotes that I put in the book. It's from a conversion rate uh, a specialist called Pep Laya. And he's like, don't copy your competitors. They're just as clueless as you are. 
Uh, or my uh, my other friend Jeff Sauer, who runs uh, Data Driven University, his quote is he uses the hockey analogy where he says like you know trying to keep up with your competitors is trying to chase uh, or trying to catch up to where the puck was, but they've moved on, right? And so you are always yeah, going to be a yeah. step behind, and what works for them might not work for you. So. My whole goal of competitor analysis is just to figure out how you can position yourself differently and so you know who your competitors are and how you can stand out meaningfully against them. Because if we're honest, like so many products or offerings today, they, they're they just as good as the competitor, right? Or sometimes there's no meaningful differentiation, yeah. which is a good thing and a bad thing. But then what, what do you do if you're that company is... How do you find the difference? Like, I love what you do, where you ask, like, let's talk about your writing process. That's so different than from any other podcast that people do. And you dive into a little bit more of the behind the scenes and not just the content of the book, which is such a meaningful differentiator, right? And so do that. I can't tell you how many times I've had this. People come to me like, Bernard, we invested like 50, 60, like some in really like really unfortunate sum of money into a research or a white paper. And then they're like, but it did nothing for us. And I'm like, I know, but let's just look at white papers on this topic. I can do a quick search or I can do a quick search on LinkedIn or Twitter or Google or Bing. And there will be like dozens and dozens and dozens of ones just the same. So I'm like, why did you do that? Whereas what makes Edelman Trust Barometer Report stand out so much against the audience that everyone wants to go read it every single year. It's built their brand as being the experts on trust. Um, so yeah. figure out the, the the gap that's missing or a different way or different spin. And you'll be, especially if you tie it back to what your customers need or want, it's a surefire recipe for success. Well, before we move on, I just want to dive a little more into this. Uh, see, like you mentioned, I mean, most of us are selling me to products, right? I mean, very rare that we are doing something so unique that nobody else is doing. I mean, I mean, we can take some examples of what those unique things are, but there'll be a few uh, across time. So most of us are in a in a scenario where we are doing a me to product with some differentiators here and there. How do you actually? So I mean, I'm doing an AI chatbot, for example. I mean, which is what 1 million people are doing. I do one more. How do I actually, I mean, is it possible to differentiate in a scenario like this? Um, it is. It can also be, well, the, the, there's two, two steps to this, right? One is, does your product need to do something drastically different? And that answer may be yes, no, whatever, but your, your, your target audience can answer that better. But let's say you have something that is not different. So like my book, for example, certainly I am probably the, the hundredth plus content marketing book that exists. So then it's a question that I grappled with as well. And I said, well, I can make my product, quote unquote, my book different by adding in. So I even made it a deliberate point at the, the back content where I wrote like, what makes the book unique is how. And so I made sure I emphasized that. So that was one. But two, it's also how you position it in your marketing. Talk about it differently differently. There's a really great example I saw that came from um, one of the beer manufacturers. I think it was uh, Anheuser-Busch, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to, I'm, I can't remember the names. So I will probably get it wrong. But this beer company was the 
third most popular in the US. And so they hired a copywriter and a marketer uh, to try to help get them more popularity. That copywriter said, I'm going to come in and tour your factory and let's see what happens. And so he walked through the factory and everything understood the whole process. And then he wrote this awesome post, like describing the process, like, oh, all of these hops and filtered through this and yada, yada. And then it looked super cool. But here's the thing, Subhanjan, they were not the only beer company, like practically every beer manufacturer was doing it in exactly the right way. The thing that made them different was how they actually talked about it and positioned it. So now suddenly it felt like they were very special and unique, right? So sometimes it is just your positioning there, what problem you solve, how can you set yourself apart? Uh, how do you tap in and capture the attention of your audience? And also, how do you capitalize on it? I can't tell you how many times people have written an amazing blog or an amazing um, piece of content or research out there, and they do not add a call to action at the end. It's like, even if you're not saying buy now, buy now every time, just give people one next step to do. It's like, oh, did you like this podcast? Come check out my episode with Rand, because we talked about Rand in this a few times. One little call to action, because otherwise, if you don't tell them, something to do, then the chances of them doing anything are, are really low. Let's touch upon chapter 11 and 12 before we wrap this up. What are the tips that you have in the book about keeping people hooked to your content? What 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 are the things that people should be doing, which again, you see people not doing enough? Um, so yeah, chapters 11 and 12, I, I think I had the most fun writing, to be honest. I mean, I enjoyed writing my whole book, uh, broken up by bits of writer's block. But um, chapter 11 was really interesting because it's this structure that I've learned over time or I've picked up. So I studied the works of, you know, advertising greats and legends like the forefathers of the industry, whether it is, you know, Claude Hopkins or John Capels or David Ogilvy or Drayton Bird. Plus, I look at how modern day marketers like Henneke Duistermart is one of my favorite writers and she has an amazing course on on teaching writing and so like I've studied all these people I've studied how they're so effective and amazing at what they do and I've been able to test and ideate over the last like 10 15 years based on all of their advice and and so I realized that great content needs a little structure or perhaps that's just me but if you watch any any Hollywood movie, let's say you watch a rom-com, it's the same formula, Hollywood, Bollywood, like any movie industry, usually rom-coms follow a formula or a structure wherein you have the, you see them living their lives, you see that they're missing something, then you have the meet cute, then it's all these romantic swoony scenes, then there's some strife and they break up and then there's the reunion or if it's a sad story, then it's like the tragic ending, right? Yeah. The same, but you still watch it, whether it's when Harry met Sally or like some new one or, you know, Dilwale Dulhaniya Lejangi, whatever the movie is, you'll still watch it because it's engaging and different and it feels unique. So whether it's a hero's journey or there's storytelling structures that exist. And once you start spotting them in the wild, like for me, I always feel like I'm a CSI detective because I'm like, I've, I've spotted the DNA of the structure that the that the writer is using. And I'm sure you do that too now because you've read so much and interviewed so many authors. You can be like, I know what they're doing. Um, but it's understanding that, right? And so for me, I'm like, 
how you write and in what order you write makes a big difference to the success that you'll have. So for me, I always advise and I've seen this work time and time again. And I've learned this from the greats, right? It's not just me, but I've tested it out. Start with the end. Start with you what you want them to do first. Like, what's the go-do at the end? Keep that in mind. Then you'll build everything else to do that. Then you want to go through sort of your conclusion and your main and so on. And I have lots of tips in there for ways that you can keep people reading and reading. Your opening sentence. Great writing advice, right? Your first... Who said this? Elmer Sizzle Wheeler said this. Your first 10 words are significantly more important than the next 10,000 words in your writing, right? Reading needs to feel effortless. So you want to draw them in quickly. So it's these little writing rules and guidelines and copywriting learnings that if we imbibe a little, we'll just keep people reading on and on and on. And then write your headline last and write many, many, many more versions than you might think. It's it's like when you're cooking spinach, it takes a whole bag to create three leaves of spinach cooked. So it's the same way. Get your bag of headlines and you get three perfect ones. Right, right. Last chapter, you talk about distribution, right? I mean, I think that's one of the biggest challenges most content marketers have because churning out content, good, bad, it's possible with chat GPT and all, it's even more possible. You can keep churning out stuff, uh, which looks uh, okay or not, whatever. But the fact is that most people don't get the distribution piece right. Most people. And I can venture out and say maybe 95% don't get it right. Uh, what do you think one should be focusing on uh, to fix that? Well, one, you you nailed it. Like so few people get it right because it's just as much hard work. And I get it, right? I, I was I wrote the book. I'm like, can I just go take my two-week vacation now and do nothing? And I'm like, nope, now you gotta go and like promote the book and market it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. So <laughs> you or with any piece of content, you want to think like if I'm putting in this much time for distribution, I need to have a proportionate amount of time to get it into the hands of people. Because otherwise, you're just letting your own hard work down. You put in so yeah, much blood, yeah. sweat, tears, hope, effort into this, put it out there. And sometimes people go wrong because they think that, A, I have to be everywhere. And that's not the case. Because what, what happens if you try to be on every platform or every channel is... You can do it for a little while, but then you just start getting resentful and then you just stop. And then it's like, this is too much work. I'm done. So like, start small, start with what you can keep up, pick one platform or two platforms, whatever you can have a presence on the other one. Certainly like claim your account, claim your name. Uh, but my friend Lexi Mills, she says this, she said that if you are a toe fungus cream, there's no expectation for you to have the world's most visually compelling TikTok or Instagram account, because that's just not the right fit for that product. But just be there, have a presence and guide people to maybe YouTube or LinkedIn or some other channel that you are uh, and claim it. And then just focus on two or three that you can and double down. How do you pick those two or three? Where your audiences are, but also how they use their time on that platform too. Everybody may not use a platform in the same way that it was, in, like the masses use it for, right? Everyone thinks of 
you know, let's say TikTok, for example, people think of TikTok as this very like Gen Z only place, but that's so not true. Like some of the favorite people that I follow are are grandmoms who are sharing recipes and passing down their heritage. I mean, this is a so cool that the ease of creating content now is this opens it up to so many kinds of creators. But also, I mean, that's a very different usage rate than somebody who's just on there to talk about, you know, something like a video game or something else. So where's your audience? Where are they spending time? How do they use the platforms? And you can get all of that from your user research too, and then test and then double down. Find the pace that works for you. Consistency helps. If you can post two or three times a week, then that's all. Like don't push yourself too hard to do too much. It's pretty much like diet and exercise, right? The fourth day, you're like, I will starve, no carbs. I will run. And then you're just like, forget it. Let me eat the whole pizza. <laughs> and so really consistency with distribution is important. Yeah. And they, the last mistake sometimes people make is like, oh my gosh, this new platform's come out. It's super hot. I need to be on it. No, you don't. If your audience isn't on there, then why Why are you there? Yeah. Like, do yeah. you have to be there? So just don't. Do it sustainable. Do it sustainable. And then... Make sure you're building your content in such a way that it leads to reuse, that it is more, uh, it has multi-purpose. So chapter 12, I talk about how you can take one idea and turn it like five different ways. How do you approach it from different angles, especially to go hit different buyer motivations or buyer objections that come up, right? You know those from understanding sales. So Everything comes together in that sense. If you can take one idea and make it work harder, then you're not just treating your content like tissue paper, like use once, throw away. It's just reuse it, reuse it all the time. Like Chanel versus Shein. If I bought a dress from Chanel versus Shein, I'd probably keep the Chanel very carefully and wear it multiple times so I could get my money's worth out versus maybe like a fast fashion one. You'd wear it once and then be done. Um, so just don't don't treat if I had to give one advice I would say like please don't treat your content like fast fashion like treat it really like high investment pieces that you can bring out season after season maybe you change an accessory maybe you change a format um, and then you'll be so much more successful and work less so one last question before I let you go what do you think of this whole genre of thought which is build your own channel in the sense that don't be dependent upon platforms, build your own newsletter subscribers, build your own, your own, your audience. Where, where do you stand on that? Um, I always think there's some merit to having your own as well, because you never know, like billionaires taking over, like things happen in the world. Um, but it's too simplistic, that advice, because it's not, you can't get the full gamut if you only have it owned, right? You want to make sure that you have a balance of owned, earned, paid uh, media. So that way you're getting the reach and the long-term engagement, as well as you're reducing the risk to yourself. Like certainly if I just set up and relied on creating an email list uh, by myself without relying on like a social media or some kind of paid campaign, I would not get very far. So you would benefit from different platforms they are much more long-lasting than people might think um so yeah find that mix bits about books is brought to you by pitchlink the buyer seller engagement platform pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules sellers create customized sales narratives 
using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive buyer-qualified engagement. PitchLink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 99021-631-32. Before we, we wrap, uh, what are your thoughts about curation? Curation so of content. Important. So important. It's You can definitely do that too and make it work super well. You don't always have to create it. I, I compare it in the book to... You can own the art museum, right? So I, I live in Philadelphia. We have the very the, the beautiful Philadelphia art museum with the rocky steps. Think about it like that. If I'm the museum, I don't have to paint every painting in there or sculpt every sculpture in there. I just have to use my discernment to pick the right ones, the right exhibits, the right galleries. And so if you can mix in creation and curation, you'll do really well. Uh, let's think about a more practical example of that. Oprah's favorite things or Oprah's gift guide, right? We, people look forward to it every single year because, yeah, you know, they want to do that too. It, you can build your brand and your name by curating as well. Um, even if you just sometimes content can be as simple as a thoughtful comment on a social media post, right? Add your perspective. If you want to share somebody else's post as well, don't just hit repost. If you can take a minute to add your perspective, like, Hey, I really like this article, like this stood out to me in this article, like something like that. So you put a, your little touch on there and then that's incredibly valuable too. So absolutely, please do that. Repeat your old content, take your old, own content and put it in a different format. You could even create a video of, you know, here are the five books that I read and here's what I like about each of it. That's curation as well to a certain form, but it's your original IP because you're putting it together and talking about it and your thoughts. Absolutely. Purna, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, your time and I really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, it's so, so many times you feel that you will actually revisit and have a longer chat and that never happens. And that's such a loss. Um, I, I wish that we, we, we catch up again and, and have an opportunity to chat again. I would really love that genuinely. Like hit me up anytime. We can have any chat. We can do virtual, virtual uh coffees, virtual chai, whatever you like. I'm always down for that. I I can talk about content all day. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Purna. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from and give us a rating while you are at it. This BizCast original podcast is produced for PitchLink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where the mission is to make buying easy. 
hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.